My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 127. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I had a fabulous weekend, even though the University of Tennessee did not. Well, they had a great first half. Let's give them a little bit of credit. Against Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, I was there with my wife, my grandson, and his best friend, and it was a wonderful journey. Started in Greenville, of course, that's where I live, Greenville, Tennessee, and my wife and I jumped into her Nissan Pathfinder. Now, this is a great road car. It is a six, well, it's got three rows of seats, I guess one, two, three, four, five, six, seven passengers could fit in it, as long as the ones in the very far back seat are children. But it is supposed to be made for adults. But anyway, it was a wonderful ride. We averaged 27.6 miles to the gallon, and that is going just maybe five miles per hour over the speed limit, which is about my limit, or my wife's limit for me. And uh, had two pretty good, probably 400 and probably 420 pounds of boys in the middle row who probably, they didn't fight. They would have these little wrestling matches about every 20 minutes or so. You know, they're, they're in men's bodies, but they're about eight mentally. Uh, at least they seem that way on the trip down. Boy, they eat a lot. Goodness sake. But I do want to talk a little bit about the trip up. We had to get off the interstate because there was an accident on I-75. And so I can't remember. We were right around Corbin, Kentucky. And so I had to get off there. Well, I didn't have to because I sat there and not moved for hours. But we decided to get off and take this curvy road. A lot of other people did. I say that the Nissan Pathfinder is a great road car. It is as long as you stay on the interstate. It is not a curvy road car. A lot of body roll. Uh, if I guess if I compare it to another vehicle, it would be something that we sell, which would be the Ford Explorer. So how would it compare? Well, the Ford Explorer has a little bit more room, and it's a little wider, a little bit longer, uh, quite a bit more powerful with the uh, turbocharged engine. But the biggest difference is how they handle on curvy roads. The Explorer is a better handling vehicle on the curves. As far as the ride, a little harsher ride, like on, you know, some of these interstates that are concrete, you know, how they're really bumpa 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 I don't like that. I like smooth asphalt. I realize that asphalt doesn't last as long, but, you know, these concrete roads between uh, Chattanooga and Birmingham, Alabama, goodness. They need some work. But I'll tell you what, where they did have it paved with asphalt, it was some of the smoothest, quietest asphalt that I've ever ridden on. And I'm telling you, the the Pathfinder is a remarkable ride. It doesn't have an overabundance of power, but it has plenty of power. Both of these are kind of circumstances, like if you were looking at an Explorer versus a Pathfinder, you need to drive both of them. You know, I see a lot of people go out and buy a big SUV, like a, the T- Kia Telluride is real popular right now. People were paying ten to $15,000 over a window sticker for them because they like the way they look. Did they ever drive it? Did they drive it in comparison to other three-row SUVs? Many people do not. I think that's a big mistake because you discover something like I did. 
that if I lived in the mountains and drove all the time on a curvy road, I probably wouldn't buy the Pathfinder. And I'm a Nissan dealer. I'd buy the Explorer because I'm a Ford dealer. What other vehicles would I consider? Well, I'd probably consider the uh, Honda Pilot. Um, maybe the Toyota Highlander. I see where Toyota is building a Grand Highlander, taking a cue from Jeep. So that might be something worth driving, you know, testing out. Probably drive a Kia, tell your ride, or a Hyundai Palisade. Both of those are competitors in that same realm. So I don't know. It's a pretty big decision if you're going to keep it for a number of years. I want to see how the seats fold down. You know, does the center row of seats actually have a slider where it will go forward and back? Because that makes a big difference when you've got big boys in the back. My grandson's best friend is 15. He's 6'2", 240, and not fat. The kid is a, a defensive and offensive lineman on my, my grandson's football team, and he needs some leg room. And when they start going at it in the back seat – I can feel the whole vehicle just moving. It almost makes me seasick. Boys, stop. I said that probably 30 times if I said it once. But anyway, back to the trip. It was a great trip. I had to go all the way to Cincinnati, spent the night, uh, went down through Nashville, went to Broadway, actually, in Nashville. That was We got out of the vehicle following fight number hmm, probably 30. And so I uh, had a nice meal down there on Broadway. Lots of tourists in downtown Nashville, as you would expect. A lot of them wearing boots. The girls like to wear skirts and boots for some reason. I wouldn't walk around in a pair of cowboy boots if you paid me. But apparently it's a fashion statement. I've asked several people, what do you think? Why do you wear cowboy boots? Oh, they're just so comfortable. I just have a hard time believing that, especially with the pointed toes. But anyway, we headed on down to Birmingham. That's a pretty long ride from Nashville to Birmingham. Uh, roads were good. Uh, traffic was not too bad. But we got to Birmingham and immediately went to a Brazilian steakhouse or a Bra- Brazilian meat fest, I guess is what they, you should call it. Have you ever been to a Brazilian restaurant? Well, they bring out the meat on these big uh, skewers. And you, just ha- you have this little card that you put down on your table. One side's green. The other side's red. If you turn it over on green, they bring the meat to you, and they just keep coming and coming and coming until you turn it over red, and that means halt, no more meat, at least for you know next 10 minutes or so. You get hungry again, flip it over to green, here comes the meat. That was one expensive meal. I didn't really look at the um, menu because they don't have one. They just have this, like... Uh, this bar, this salad bar and vegetable bar and stuff like that, and bread that you go load up on that, and then the meat starts coming. It was probably one of the most expensive meals I've ever bought, unless I was buying for an entire sales staff of about 15. Um, so anyway, but we ha- had a great time. Went to the Alabama football game, great atmosphere, uh, beautiful people uh, in orange. Uh, the people in Crimson were not so bad either. Very different experience than going to a UT game in Knoxville. Knoxville is just so confined. University of Tennessee is a very large school, a lot of people, a lot of buildings, all packed into a very small space against the Tennessee River. Alabama is uh, very spread out. It's uh, much more you know wide open spaces, 
and just a lot of monstrous fraternity and sorority houses and Bryant-Denny Stadium, which is a shrine down there. But I saw something on the way from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa. We spent the night in Birmingham that I have never seen. It's just one of those amazing things of nature that happen occasionally. Uh, I've had several of those. saw a pretty buck this morning, by the way, a 10-pointer just right outside of my house on my driveway. But anyway, I'm going down a road. It's three lanes of traffic. I'm in the center lane. Pretty steady. I mean, it's it's not bumper to bumper. It's actually moving pretty well, but it's packed pretty tightly. So up ahead, I see what looks like a dead animal just right on the uh, the line between the far left lane and my lane. And I thought it was like a groundhog or something. All of a sudden, it pops its head up. It was a hawk, and it had caught something there. You know how, I don't know if you've ever seen a hawk attack something, but what they do is they they land on it, and then they hover over it. They wrap their wings and everything around it, so I guess the other hawks can't take it from them. And until they are sure the animal's dead, you know, they just squeeze it and put those big claws into it, and then they typically will fly off at that point or sit there and have a meal. Well, that was no place to be having a meal, I can assure you, with the traffic and the cars changing lanes. Now, all this happened in about nine seconds, by the way. And so I yelled to my wife, look, honey, a hawk. And she sees it just as we're going past it. Well, I had to see what the end of this story was, so I looked in my rearview mirror. Thankfully, the hawk sprung up, flapping its wings just before this big old tractor-trailer truck changed lanes right in front of it. And I said, boy... That was close. Never seen anything like that. Bad place. Not the best place to capture a prey in the middle of a busy interstate on the road between Birmingham and Tuscaloosa. But I saw it, and I'm sticking with that story. I'll be back in just one minute. Okay, I am back. As we're driving south on this journey to Alabama, we went through Louisville, Kentucky. Now, right at this minute, there's a big old Ford plant up there that is not producing any Fords because of the massive UAW strike that's going on. So we weren't able to see that. But downtown Louisville's a pretty good-sized place, isn't it, if you've been there? But as we went about, I don't know, it's maybe 20 or 30 miles south, we're just driving along, and all of a sudden I look over to the right, and I see this massive construction project. And then I see a sign that said SK and immediately lights went off inside my little brain. I said, that is the new battery plant, uh, the joint venture between SK, which is a South Korean company, and Ford. Finally, I did see Blue Oval City is what it said on the sign, so I knew that was, I knew what it was. And they said it was going to be big, and they weren't kidding. It is a probably one of the largest construction projects that this old boy has ever seen. But just uh, just south of Elizabethtown, Kentucky, can't remember the name of the community where it is, but they're going to be building lithium-ion batteries there, which is the common battery that's used in EVs right now. Uh, it's what Tesla uses and Ford uses. They're lithium-ion batteries. And as I've talked about on this show, that technology, the battery technology is changing so rapidly. I'm going to go through a little bit of that here in just a second, but 
Their big claim to fame right now is that they are developing, and by the time this, this factory is done, they will have a battery that will go 500 miles with two charges of 10 minutes or less. Now, that's not bad if you can find a charger. You know, as I've talked about on this show many times, I would buy an electric vehicle, and I'm leasing one right now, as a matter of fact, if, you know, I can just charge at home and and go less than 300 miles. Most of the EVs have anywhere from 250 to 350 miles of range. Uh, But my problem is going on a trip, how long am I going to have to sit there charging uh, my battery so that I can move on? Ten minutes isn't bad. You know, ten minutes, I I can do anything for ten minutes. You know, I wouldn't want to wait on somebody to build their bowl at Chipotle for 10 minutes, like happened while we were in in Alabama. I don't mind waiting, but I don't like to wait behind somebody who is so, that picks everything on the menu. But that's another discussion to have later. I need to see my psychiatrist about that probably. But anyway, 500 miles with two 10-minute charges, that'll get me to the beach, to Hilton Head. I think it's about 300 and maybe 400 miles. So, you know, that's a that's not too bad as long as, like I say, the chargers are open. So let's talk about some of the technology that's coming. You know, why consider an EV? Well, your gas pump is at your house, and uh, you never have to buy gas again. Not a bad deal as far as EVs are concerned. Uh, you have zero emissions, which I like that. I'm not what you would call an environmentalist, and I'm not concerned about a lot of the other things, but I probably should be. Zero emissions, though, is not a bad goal. That's not bad at all. Although, we know it it is going to create a lot of emissions just manufacturing the vehicle and also generating, generating the power that goes into it, you know, for the electricity. Another thing I like about, well, as a dealer, I don't like this too much. Very low maintenance cost, practically none. I mean, you're going to have to replace your tires and your brake pads. That's pretty much it. You know, you'll have to do a probably a four-wheel alignment, something like that, uh, to make sure your wheels are lined up and not going to wear out your tires. But there's no oil changes. There's no spark plugs. There's no tune-ups. Uh, very few fluids. I mean, windshield washer fluid and that kind of stuff is still there. But most of the heavy maintenance isn't there. So that's a lithium-ion battery. Now, there's new tech coming, and it's just around the corner. General Motors is, is working with another company called LG. You can buy a refrigerator from them as well. Uh, their, their goal is a five to 600-mile range on a battery that will take uh, an 80% charge in 15 minutes or less. Now, keep in mind... This 15 minutes or less or 10 minutes or less, those are at level three charging stations. That's the high-powered babies. And uh, you're not supposed to use those a lot. You know, as far as the battery life is concerned, they want you to use a 220 or 240 outlet in order to, uh, well, that is the equivalent of a level two charger. Level three chargers are like the Tesla superchargers. And they really throw the juice to your electric vehicle, but it's not good for the battery to do that all the time. So they want you charging at home. Even better is if you charge on a 110, 
but then that takes you know several days to get a charge. But you know, I could live with that pretty much. I mean, if I go home in my electric car, plug in when I get to the house, then unplug in the morning, drive to work. You know, I, I could live on a 110 charger. I wouldn't even have to install one of those uh, $1,000 plugs that, like you have to if you buy an electric, or like you should if you uh, buy the typical electric vehicle. But more than likely, I could charge one time a week easily and just drive it. And my wife could too. Unless we go on a long trip, and then, you know, that changes the game. That's where I look forward to solid-state batteries. They have the greatest potential because they have the greatest energy density capability. Uh, 500 miles of range and last over 1,000 charges. That's what they're promising with solid-state. So what is that? That's half a million miles before you have to replace the batteries. Who's going to do that? I don't know anybody that drives a vehicle half a million miles. I mean, we had a guy trade in a Toyota of some, I think it was a Tundra the other day, one of the earliest ones, had 360,000 miles on it. And uh, he hated to see it go. He got into a new Maverick, believe it or not. But, um, you know, so that's a lot of miles. I take that back. I had a guy bought a Chevy Chevette for me back in the 80s, late 70s or early 80s. He put 400, I think it was about 450,000 miles on that thing. He was so proud of himself. And it was a manual transmission, a little four-speed manual Chevy Chevette, silver with a red interior. I still remember it. He would come in uh, religiously, like every 2,500 miles to get an oil change. He was determined to make that Chevy Chevette last a long time. And that was not much of a car. That was one of Chevrolet's early. You know, probably a a greater success story with it than the Vega, wouldn't you say? Those of you who grew up in the 70s remember the Chevy Vega. Pretty car. You know, I thought it was way more attractive than the Pinto. It just had a crappy engine, aluminum block. Had a lot of failures with that one. Now, there is a vehicle that you can buy right now that has 516 miles of range. It'll go zero to 60, get this now, 1.89 seconds to 60 miles an hour. That is like, you better hold on to something. Uh, And if you you can't handle a lot of G-forces, don't get in this car. I'll tell you what it is here in just a minute. Okay, I am back. Uh, Can you imagine driving a car with 1,234 horsepower, and it is a four-door passenger car? Uh, The Grand Touring model lists for $125,600. It is full electric. It takes 12 minutes to charge it uh, to 200 miles. So it's, it's sucking a lot of electrons really quickly. So that's good. You can lease it for 36 months for $1,249 a month with $11,819 up front. Does that sound like something you would want? Well, not many people do, but some people do. It's called a Lucid, L-U-C-I-D. That is an electric vehicle maker. Not a wildly successful company, but had enough money going in to survive. 
what they've been through trying to get people to accept electric vehicles, but it is a high-end electric car. Looks really good. Saw one the other day on the street, and it is a beautiful car. Very good fit and finish, beautiful interior. But uh, yeah, and zero to 60 in 1.89 seconds. So if you want one, you can go online and you can build it and order it. Just go to lucid, L-U-C-I-D dot com, and I'm sure they'll take care of you. You know, I love the simple process of like buying a Tesla online or a Lucid. There are other vehicles that are like this where, you know, they just don't have a lot of different options, so it's really easy to order something like that. Try ordering an F-150 online. There's so many different features and benefits and, I mean, features and options and accessories that people want. I mean, trucks are a very personal kind of a purchase. And, you know, some people want a sunroof in their um, their F-150 Lariat, and some people don't. You know, some people want the long, the six-and-a-half-foot bed, and there's a five-and-a-half-foot bed, an eight-foot bed. It gets really complicated. Well, with these electric vehicle makers, it's not very complicated. You just pick what size engine you want, how fast do you want it to go, and then hold on because it's going to go fast and it's going to cost a lot of money. A lease for $1,249 a month. Now, to a lot of people, that's not much money. You know, they're, they're paying more than that for their BMW, and they, they think they might want to get into something unique. Well, this would definitely be unique. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. If you have any questions, call me, 423-552-2020, or email lennylawson2020 at gmail.com, and I will see you next time.